Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. This is the Indiana Bible College podcast. We have a couple of nuggets of greatness for you, if you will. The, the first nugget of greatness is by way of a public service announcement. Thousands of voices joined together, hundreds of hours in preparation, 16 songs, multiple originals, one night, one object of worship. Of course, we are talking about IBC's new album entitled Victory, and it is available for digital download at voicevision.com, and we'll push to Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and other streaming platforms very, very soon. So make sure that you follow us on social media platforms uh, for more information about that release. Frequent listeners of the Indiana Bible College podcast will surely recognize our sponsor for this particular episode. The Ministerial Student Association aims to facilitate ministry trips according to the needs of the local church. From children's ministry and youth trips to outreach and worship, we would love to partner with you. If your church would like to host an MSA, talk to your pastor and let them know about that the program here at IBC. More information is located at indianabiblecollege.org forward slash MSA. The second nugget of greatness we have for you on this episode is by way of the actual content. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, which forced us to close campus, the Ministerial Student Association hosted a preaching seminar with Reverend Josh Anderson. Last week, we promised that we would bring this content to you today. And if you've not listened to the Reverend Anderson interview hosted by our Dean of Biblical Studies, Reverend Bobby Kilman, I'd encourage you to cue that up after you finish this seminar. Well, there you have it. Hopefully those nuggets of greatness did not disappoint. And as always, thank you for listening to the Indiana Bible College podcast. Can you hear me all right without the microphone? Okay. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to you. Uh, what a joy. And uh, I was delighted when they asked me. I love Indiana Bible College. I love everything about it. I attended here. Of course, I was raised as a young person. You can't hear me? I was raised as a young person at Calvary Tabernacle. Still can't hear me. Hello. <laughs> so <clears throat> much of what I am is because of Calvary or because of IBC. And uh, I am great friends with a lot of the staff here. I went to Bible school with Brother Kilman, Brother Gallion, and Sister Gallion, and, and was around back years ago, even when Linda was here back then, very close to Linda. We used to go places, and they'd, uh, my last name is Anderson, so they would ask if I was his son. We look a lot alike, don't we? And so I would say, yes, that's Papa. And uh, we would always confuse people on the tours. Made a good time with that. So I, I am indebted to Indiana Bible College and 
just a tremendous chance to speak to you. Now, they asked me to speak to you. I'm evangelizing right now, and uh, I wanted to talk to you about the evangelistic sermon, uh, and I titled it The Evangelistic Sermon and Dramatic Preaching, and don't get too worried. We're not going to get into drama tonight, but I won't have you act it out, but I want to talk to you about the evangelistic sermon. Let me say it this way. I pastored, I've youth pastored, uh, I've evangelized, I've done other things. You will preach a lot of evangelistic sermons. Most of what you're doing even right now as an MSA student is you're going out and you're being evangelistic. Would you agree with that? That You're not preaching, hopefully, the pastoral message when they invite you into the pulpit. I would hope you'd say amen on that, that you are not taking your liberty to correct the things in the church that need to be corrected. You're not reading out of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and saying, I know what's wrong with this church, but rather you're preaching an evangelistic sermon. As a pastor, I use Sunday morning a lot for evangelistic sermons. I felt like that was when we had our visitors. Wednesday night, I taught a lot of the epistles because I wanted to grow those who were coming faithfully. You have to have evangelistic. You have to have teaching. So I taught a lot on Wednesday night out of the epistles. I had a Sunday morning class where I taught a lot on fundamentals of faith and repentance and different things like that. But there was this period on Sunday morning or when I'm preaching out evangelistically right now that you are given the task of preaching to get somebody to respond. How many would say amen? You're reaching in like they did on the day of Pentecost to say this is what needs to happen. So I'm going to address that particular subject. Is that all right with you? Just deal with that. I think that's where a lot of you are at right now and will be for years, even as a youth pastor. Many of my sermons were not to correct the young people. They were to impart something to them, empower them. I was not trying to be their pastor. I was their youth pastor. So I'll move quickly, and then hopefully it'll give you a little bit of chance if you have any questions. So drama is what I've first said there, and I've given you. Bible school has drama, doesn't it? (laughs) Getting to class drama. Dorm room drama, dorm mate drama. Dating drama? Is there any dating drama at Bible school? Well, just I just hit a nerve. Uh, there is... Somebody said, I can see you're really upset. There was a statement that said, I can see you're really upset. Perhaps you should post about it on Facebook. That'll help eliminate any drama of what's going on. Drama. Now, I'm going to try. Drama is thought of as a negative term. It's really, in its general definition, drama is a positive thing. Drama is a literary genre that presents realistic characters who deal with realistic conflicts or struggle most often on their way to either succumbing to them or overcoming. That's what drama is. Somebody say drama. drama. I believe the Bible is drama. It's clearly evident that the Word of God is full of drama. You ready? The birth of Jesus. To the ordinary man, it's just the birth of a peasant's woman's son. But think about it to Mary. It's the dream of a lifetime overshadowed by rumors. To Joseph, he's had this precious relationship he's been developed, and now it's very uncertain whether he's going to put her away, stay with her. It's drama. To Joseph, or to Herod, it's a threat. To the shepherds, it's really a unique story. It was a fulfillment of God's promise to dwell with them. But here's a little-known character that we talk about, very little, Simeon. He's discussed in Scripture, and yet he's overflowing, poised with the dramatic. In other words, he's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same was a devout 
just man waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is chocked full in Isaiah talking about the consolation, the comforter. And he's waiting for that. It's the comfort of Israel, the comforter, the Messiah. And Simeon would hunger for a day when Jesus would call for the book of Isaiah and read, The Spirit of God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening to the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. He's waiting for the comforter, the consolation. He will never hear Jesus pick up the book of Isaiah. He will never hear him say that. But he has been promised that he will not see death before he has seen the consolation of Israel. So they walk in, Mary and Joseph walk in with this little baby. He holds this baby, takes him in his arms, and he says, let me now depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. Talk about drama. He says, I'm ready, I'm done. Will he ever hear him preach, ever hear him speak these things? No, but he's seen it. So do you understand what I'm saying? It's not just some silly story. I, I think when probably we all grew up seeing the Christmas programs, and it's just this peaceful little thing where kids run around, you know, and, and the animals are coming out of the stable. And my daughter one time was so gifted to hold baby Jesus. She was Mary. And there she was holding baby Jesus, and she was holding her. She was about four or so. And she kind of got tired, so she just grabbed him by his feet, and he was, he was upside down. <laughs> and we're all like, up Jesus and she's just holding him by his feet looking around his head's hanging down she's when we picture the birth of Jesus we just see this kind of calm children's play how many know it was dramatic when Jesus came for Mary it was dramatic for Joseph it was dramatic he was trying to figure out this woman he loved what he was going to do so page number two this is drama and preaching is the telling of God's drama of redemption, by the way. You are involved in this, in which believers find themselves as active participants. This thing is a drama for you. You're lost and you need to be saved. And preaching is the telling of that drama. Absolutely is. There was a writer, Forsyth, P.T. Forsyth, who was dealing with in the early 1900s. They were saying that the pulpits were boring. And he said, listen... The curse for dullness in the pulpit is not brilliance, but reality. Now, that's an interesting statement because how many would love to be brilliant in the pulpit? I would love to speak eloquently, not get my words wrong. My wife says every time I preach, I make up a word. <laughs> but the answer for dullness, and if you'll stay with me, I'm going to bring you hopefully to a good part about drama. I know we think of the word drama as negative, but hold on with me. The cure for dullness in the pulpit is not brilliance, but drama. Because if you can really get into the heart of Mary and Joseph and Simeon and tell it, somebody can feel what happened that night. Preaching in this hour of darkness is kind of like an article I read about in Connecticut. Uh, it was in, I believe, a city in New Haven, uh, where more than 70 people overdosed in a single day. There was a, a particular park, in fact, uh, a place where they just all day long they had ambulances, ambulances showing up. Uh, it was close to Massachusetts, Brother Gallion. 
and they had these ambulances showing up, and one person would overdose. They'd take them to the hospital. They'd have to rush back and get another one. They actually rescued some people twice and even three times that day because there was in that particular dose of K2, whatever drug that was, somebody had laced it with an opioid, and so people were just overdosing. I would say in this darkness that we're dealing with that we're seeing people come into the church, go right back out, come into the church, or go, maybe they don't come to church, but they go in and out of addiction, sin, they're coming in and out of problems. How many know there's just a darkness that's settling in? And they come into a pulpit, and you're preaching. Guess what? Brilliance doesn't get them. They're in a drama. They're in this drama called redemption or deliverance. And they need to hear somebody preach that way. You get what I'm saying? You get my heart here today? So I want to talk to you about then evangelistic preaching. It is what I would call dramatic preaching. And I'm a, again, I'm going to move pretty fast. I've got my timer going so that I can take time where I feel I need to take time. But uh, dramatic preaching demands four important elements. And we're going to talk about them a little bit. And then I'm going to try and give you a sermon outline maybe that you could use just for this particular aspect. This will not define all of your preaching, but this is a matter of preaching and speaking that you need to have. Evangelistic dramatic preaching demands four elements, and the order below does not indicate the presentation order. Are you ready? Number one, it demands transparent characters. If you look at the book of Acts chapter 2, which I'm going to use for an example, how many know Peter preached that great message on the day of Pentecost? You have transparent characters, you men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. You have two characters here that we could go back and look and preach all about them. We could preach about Israel, its loss, its rejection, its hopelessness, its idolatry worship. There are people that were doing the wrong thing. You have two very transparent characters. Jesus of Nazareth, who's come from a humble upbringing, born in a manger. He is, he is a character that you can preach about and really get people to understand. In fact, if you look in Scripture, the outward and inner man are both revealed in most stories. Not every story, but when Jesus would speak or when somebody would write. Have you ever read where Jesus said, he said something particular? Because he knew their thoughts and he tells us what they thought. He says, for they thought that I was this or they had, they had, uh, they had evil in their heart. So Jesus says and speaks to something. So You'll find in Scripture both the inner man and the outer man, the drama of what's going on inside and the drama of what's going on the outside are both often revealed in Scripture. David would be a great representation of where his inner man is revealed all throughout the Psalms and his outer man is revealed all throughout the historical books of what he was going against. And if you ever preach a sermon about the outer man fighting in in the book of Samuel, you should go find the psalm that preaches about the inner man and what he was thinking and give both of those characters a chance or both of those settings of the character a chance to speak in dramatic preaching. You follow me there that there is transparent characters. You've got to find where they are inside and where they are outside. Because you're preaching to somebody who's a drug addict and you're looking at the outside, but you don't know exactly what's going on inside unless the Holy Ghost reveals it to you that there's fear and doubt. And Scripture will provide a chance to preach to that inner man, to that other man. So evangelistic dramatic preaching demands transparent characters. Everybody said amen. amen. It involves a second thing called a realistic struggle or a conflict. Now, 
If I had time, I would have taken this lesson a lot deeper. Many of these points come from actually what drama is. Drama, if you were to perform a drama tonight or a drama. We had dramas sometimes back when I was at Bible school. They were very fun. We had a drama tour. But a successful drama has many things that it demands. And part of this is where I would get some of these points from. Drama demands a realistic struggle or conflict. Evangelistic preaching demands a realistic struggle or conflict. Now, I've chosen Acts chapter number 2 because I believe it gives us one. You ready? Therefore, let all the house of Israel know you got a conflict on your hand. You have just crucified Jesus, who is both Lord and Christ. If you're ever preaching to somebody who's got a drama, you can take him to the book of Acts chapter 2 and tell you, I'll tell you about somebody who had a worse drama or struggle than you did. They woke up and realized that the Lord and the Christ, they just crucified him. That's a conflict and a struggle. I don't know what you lied about this last month, or what you've come out of in the last couple of years, or where you've done something, and the enemy has attacked you, and you realize you need to repent. But it's, it's an impulsive thing when you feel that guilt, that maybe God wouldn't deal with your struggle. But you can point people at their darkest moment to a struggle in the Word of God such as this and say, have you crucified the Lord recently? Have you put the nails in there? Now, I know we say we have spiritually, but you could take people to a drama and say, I don't know what your drama is, but I can tell you some people who were at a place where they had done the worst that could possibly do as far as a drama in a conflict. The failure is always presented, or most often presented. The reality of sin or weight is not shunned, but exposed. In other words, we don't cover over sin in the Bible, and we don't cover it over in preaching. An evangelistic sermon, you don't cover over and make everybody feel good about their sermon. You tell them, you just crucified the Lord. you got a conflict on your hand. You're not living right with God. Your appetite is in a conflict. So evangelistic preaching demands that you deal with a struggle and a realistic conflict. Everybody get that point? Third thing dramatic preaching or evangelistic preaching demands is a decision. Men and brethren, what shall we do? If you're preaching and you just leave people at the place where they are now in a struggle and a conflict... You've not brought them to what an evangelistic sermon should do. You've got to get them to a place where they can say, I can make a decision today. So I'm giving you this formula as best I can. Now, this is given throughout. I picked just Acts chapter 2, but this is given throughout many of the preachings of the book of Acts. And we use it in the stories in the Old Testament where a man, David, comes to find a decision of a Saul that is shouting threats to the children of Israel, and he makes a decision. I can fight this man. Everybody's given a chance. Preach a decision. Fourthly, the dramatic sermon or evangelistic sermon, it, it could have a lot more elements, but these are four that I think you must put into it. It must have a destiny. If you don't give people a future, Peter looked at him and said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the promise is unto you. You got a destiny. You got a destiny for your children. 
to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Don't leave people without a destiny. The word of God gives them a destiny. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, shall make a decision, they're in a place that they, they have a real conflict, then will I hear from heaven. I've got a promise for them. I've got something to deliver to them. I've got a destiny for them. So these are very simple elements that you could use to build a sermon, an evangelistic sermon. Every time you preach somewhere, you could take these four. You've got to have real characters. You've got to have transparent characters that are going through hardships. You've got to look into what they're going through. You've got to have a as it were, the struggle depicted. you got to have a decision, and you must have a dis- destiny. Now, I want to say something to you. Dramatic preaching is real and intensely practical for every preacher. I know brilliant preaching is something we all seek after, or preaching that just wows people, but dramatic evangelistic preaching is what will take the dullness out of a pulpit. If you can get somebody feeling that they are in a story, that they are feeling a decision, and that they are going to have a destiny when this is done. In other words, repentance is a dramatic thing. It's not a, it's not a shallow thing. Repentance is dramatic. In fact, one of the things we're probably missing most often right now in many services is a dramatic repentance. I heard Brother Turner say it. One of my favorite people to hear on Wednesday night. We get to be here a lot on Wednesday nights because we preach on Sundays, but... There's not as many week revivals anymore. I don't know if you've noticed that. A lot of Sunday revivals, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. When I first started out, it was a, I evangelized 20 years ago. There was week-long revivals. Now there's Sunday to Sunday revival. Sunday and then Sunday. Praise God. Just, but when I'm here on a Wednesday night, I get to hear preachers. I remember specifically hearing Brother Turner say when he, just recently on a Wednesday night, when he was converted, that people gave him time to repent. I remember him saying that. Repentance is a dramatic thing. So when you preach dramatically or evangelistically, it's, it's very real and it's intensely practical. For without a cross, no man can follow Christ. No man can be saved. No man can find forgiveness. In parliamentary law, there's a great difference between an amendment and a substitute. And let me tell you, in preaching, there's a great difference between amendment preaching and substitution preaching. Amendment preaching is adding something to the lifestyle they're already living. Substitution preaching is saying, if you don't change dramatically what is in, if you don't substitute what I'm preaching for what you're doing, you will not have a destiny that you want. You don't come to preach repentance as an amendment. You don't come to preach preach the Holy Ghost as an amendment. You come to preach it dramatically. You follow what I'm saying? You've got to lead them saying, I must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I must be baptized in Jesus' name. I must do something about that fact that I've just crucified the one that was both Lord and Christ. What shall I do? Well, dramatically, you must repent. Dramatically, you must be baptized in Jesus' name. Dramatically, you must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Dramatically, you must... Save yourselves from this untoward generation. You follow me there? So dramatic preaching then, now I'm going to say this, dramatic preaching demands, this is a quote from Gerald Kennedy, dramatic preaching demands the use of tools in the hands of a skilled vessel. Underneath the whole business of the dramatic sermon or the evangelistic sermon, there are great principles that will not automatically produce a sermon. Just because you preach the story 
of the birth of Jesus does not mean, hear me, that it will come forth dramatic. I'm just speaking in a class to people who want to better themselves in preaching. Just because you say, I want to be a dramatic preacher, or the story is dramatic, does not mean that it will come forth dramatic. This is where we get to the applicable part of the session. You all right? You have now got to study or use yourself as a skillful vessel to preach evangelistically or dramatically. So this man said, underneath the whole business of the sermon, there are great principles that will not automatically produce a drama, but without which will never be produced. Unless you use some of these principles we're going to talk about or things that we're going to say, you won't have dramatic preaching. There's a whole bunch of things that could be covered. I'm going to talk about three things because we couldn't talk about preaching in a whole tonight. I'm going to give you three things that I think will help you with dramatic preaching. You ready? Number one, long-range preparation. Learn the discipline of finished studies. Have you ever just gotten a thought and you wrote it down a little bit and then you left it alone and you went to preach it? And the way God spoke it to you, it did not preach out. Anybody ever done that? Don't raise your hand. Just smile at me. It's like when you were studying, you were like, this will preach. (laughs) One of the problems is a discipline called finished studies. That means if you study, for instance, the story of Jonah and the moment that he turns to go to Tarshish away from Nineveh, study that out completely. Work it from every angle, whether you're going to preach at that moment or not. If you really feel something in that, that is going to be applied somewhere you're going to preach, go to studying that. You may not be preaching for two weeks. Finish that study. Look at other places where men have turned from going where they should have gone to going where they should have gone and record it all. Write it all. Finish it out. Finish a complete thought. Add an illustration to it. Maybe it's just a 10-minute thought But somewhere along your sermon of another, you're going to get to another person like Demas who has gone away. And you're going to say, I really feel I want to preach about Demas, but I've got this little thing I can add to it. It's called a finished study. It's called something I completed that will make now this point about Demas even more powerful. Or somebody like the rich young ruler who turned away. You've now got a whole aspect you can add to. It's called a finished study. It's my term. I don't know that there's a great philosophical term for it. It's a developing a strategy to complete a study of a particular man, woman, subject right there in that moment and finish it out. Make it a page full of notes. Make it two pages full of notes. I'm going to talk to you about taking things out in just a minute. But finish that study. Don't leave it there. If God gave it to you, work at it. Does that make sense? Because somewhere it's going to help you along the lines of a dramatic sermon, an evangelistic sermon. Uh, I think long-range preparation means collecting relatable enrichment. In other words, illustrations, articles, quotes, personal stories. I have different habits of things that I do. When I travel, I don't do it all the time, but when I travel, if I get back into a plane or I get into a, a car ride, it's amazing some of the experiences I can have when I travel. I just was in San Diego. I was talking to the young man from Brother Larson's church. I was there four or five days. Uh, I mean, 
There's just all sorts of cool things that I experienced and saw. If I make a habit of it, I can write those things down, see what I saw there, read articles that are particular to that area. Uh, If I'm somewhere, I was just preaching somewhere not long ago, talking to a firefighter. Wow, just gaining some of the insight. Wrote some of the things down that he said about an apartment complex. It's interesting. It's just, I'm not using a sermon yet, but he said there's a certain apartment complex they go to over and over again, and they can't put out the fires because the water supply that they built into that, uh, that apartment complex is not as big as it is on the main street. So they have learned they have to leave the apartment complex, run hoses all the way back out to the main street, or they will never put the fire out in the apartment complex because there's not enough water pressure there. The, the flow is not enough. Now, tell me that won't preach somewhere you got to go back out. He said, and if they get there and they forget, this is the interesting thing. He said, if they forget there and they forget and they lay their hoses down on the inside hydrants, he said, it is now a disaster because they'll never get enough pressure on the inside hydrants. But they've already done all the labor and all the work on the inside and they can't go back to the outside at that point because they have to move all the trucks and move all the people, move all the hoses. So if they forget. Now he's telling me this at lunch after, this was just three or four weeks ago. You think I wrote that down? That's called long-range preparation. Do I know where I'm going to preach that yet? No. But I'm going to get an inspiration someday about how you've got to be connected to the source. And I'm going to get dramatic with it. God's going to lay into me about it. And I'm going to go, ooh, I've already got something back out here that I can connect to and make this dramatic sermon come alive. If you don't long-range prepare yourself, you'll get into moments where you're ready. God's given you something but you don't have the repertoire to make it stick. Does that make sense to really make? There are principles. What the the guy said was there are principles that make a sermon dramatic, not automatically. You've got to skill yourself in them. Hope I'm helping you tonight. All right, now let's move just a little bit more. I don't know what I've got here. Second thing, I could talk about that first one for a long while. Finish studies, preparing yourself, clip articles. If I read something, has anybody used Instapaper? Anybody know what Instapaper is? Download Instapaper. It's a simple app on any of your iPhones or iPads. If you read an article, you know where you hit the little square button with the arrow that copies it, or you can go ahead and copy it? Once Instapaper is on your iPad or on your iPhone, if you hit that button, it will give you the choice of email, share, Instapaper. You can hit Instapaper, and it automatically goes to Instapaper. When you open Instapaper, every article you've ever read that you've Instapaper is there. So when I'm studying for a sermon, if I've read an article about, say, something particular while I was in San Diego, and I've Instapapered it, when I, I may not remember it. How many read an article, you're like, I'm going to use that at some point, and then you forget it. Instapaper gives me them all just in their title, and then I go, that's what I wanted, and I click on it, it's already there. I don't have to research it, search for it. So Instapaper is a cool thing. I'm sure there's other things out there like there. That's just the one I got. But if you don't have one like that and you use online reading for news or different things like that, or even if, if I, read, if I uh, read a sermon, if you read a sermon somewhere, somebody types out their sermon and puts it on there, you can Instapaper it. It's just a cool thing. You can have it there. Sorry. You, pro- you guys probably got way cooler programs than that. that. That's probably from like 2000, and I'm like 20 years behind. There's probably already something cool. Secondly, develop a structure of assembly. Every idea or inspiration. And when I talk about idea or inspiration, I'm talking about when God shows up and says, I want you to speak about this subject. No matter how great it feels at the moment, needs a supported structure. Is that okay to say? 
I know there's sometimes I've pastored some moments my some days my my moment came at 9:42 on a Sunday morning. We just had to trust the Lord for the galleon at that time. <laughs> but you're, we're talking in class where we are teaching ourselves developing things, develop a structure of, of assembly. I'm gonna. I feel like I'm going way too long. Capturing the spirit of a hearer is the first thing you've got to do. A mind must be active before it can be receptive. What happens, one man said, in the first minute of the, is of the greatest consequence for good or ill sometimes in a sermon. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Here's a little story that I think you should deal with when you're preaching. Last summer, a preacher wrote, his name was Halford Luck, Luckick. I don't know how to say it. It's an old book that I read. He said, last summer, I went up to Mount Tom in Massachusetts. I saw a little incident which had been connected with the problem of preaching in my mind ever since. He said, I was quite... I was in quite a company of people. We were looking out a tower on the top of the mountain. On a clear day, it seemed as if we could see the whole state of Massachusetts and a good section of Connecticut and Vermont, and it was all spread at our feet. He said, the crowd of people were looking over the scene quiet, and it struck with awe when a woman in a high-pitched voice pointed out to a little house in a street far beneath and cried out to the whole company, that's where I live. And he thought, of all the things and the majesty of what she can see right now. In a high-pitched voice, she's ruined this moment for all of us by pointing to a little street in her little house. And he said, then it hit me. Every time I preach, that's what ought to happen in the first five minutes. Something ought to say, that's where I live. Because if you can't connect to somebody to the battle that they're facing... In evangelistic preaching, you may never get them to the altar. But if you can get them in the first five minutes capturing the spirit of here to say, that's where I live. My family's not coming to church. That's where I live. I feel like I need delivered. If you can get them, he said, I, I summed up preaching in that one statement now, the first five minutes. So aligning that creativity with the spiritual must be done in capturing that, that spirit of the hearer. Uh, I'm going to move fast. Oh, Arranging the right thoughts in the right order and proportion and redundant. There should be a sensitivity for the progress of the message that is dramatic. You ready? I won't use my sermon. I'll use the Lord's sermon. He taught on the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. Redundant points, dramatic points, but he built them in the right order. The lost sheep, I think, was a powerful, powerful story. The lost coin doesn't resonate as much with me, although I understand it because of its value and its worth. It, it's, to me, the most powerful was given first. How many feel like a lost sheep? Aren't you glad he left the 99? The lost coin is about the rejoicing and all that. But then he brings it all home with a third redundant dramatic story called the prodigal son. And everybody can say, that's where I live. I lived there. I was there. I've got somebody there. So dramatic preaching, hear me, puts things in order, the right order, in the right proportion. The prodigal son was the longest part of that chapter, right? There are some things that God's going to give you that are the longest part of your sermon. God's going to give you other little things. Don't make them the longest part of your sermon. You'll preach too long. Give it the right proportion. And this is a battle. This is a struggle. 
Jesus taught us this principle. Finally, finishing out each individual thought to completion. When you're building a sermon, finish out each individual thought to completion. If you're making a point, make the point. Give it enriched with scriptural backing and maybe even a relatable illustration. I don't think every point has to have a relatable illustration, but finish out a thought. And I'm going to talk to you about just a second taking some of that out. And finally, aim at the increase of intensity. The lost prodigal is the increase of intensity. When that man is coming back and the father runs, how many know that's an increase of intensity of a sermon? Everybody's going, Jesus, I'm not telling you things that I'm teaching you. Jesus said, I can feel the intensity as a father's running. The dramatic moment of that is coming to a head. You get what I'm saying? God taught us how to dramatically put a sermon together. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost prodigal. So aim at decreased intensity. The sermon should have movement forward to a pinnacle of response. For, thirdly, remake the message. Don't ignore the issues that were wrong with your message the first time you preach it, but neither discard it for its weakness. If you preach a sermon, you thought, boy, I thought God really gave me something. I can tell you after I'm done with this lesson, I will take it home and remake it. I will think of areas where I could have made it better, where I could have took stuff out. Maybe it went too long. Maybe I, I went over one subject too often. But I will remake the message. Remake the sermon. Know where it worked and where it was lacking. Do yourself a favor. Preach a sermon a second time and work it over. and Let God change it. Make it more dramatic. Now I'm going to deal with something that you all been waiting for. I hope you all been waiting for. I got to hurry. Frank Elliott, the writer, defined the premise of a drama. He said, drama is a play that tells a story with great difficulties experienced by the characters. Dramatic means having or showing the expected aspects of drama. There is expected things out of a scripture you should preach. You should preach the pain and the agony. You should preach the joy and the triumph, the drama, the pain, the guilt. There's another word called melodramatic. Now, this is what you really think of when you think of, boy, Bible school is full of drama, dorm drama, day I've walked into rooms where somebody was passed away and there was real drama in there and I was moved by it. I've walked into rooms where someone has passed away and there was melodramatic there. Somebody was being dramatic for attention to themselves. Understand the difference? Preaching is the same way. Dramatic is real. It's the real pain of the story. Melodramatic means you're trying to sweeten it or exaggerate it. And it is either going to do two things, bring attention to you and take away attention from the real dramatic scripture, the real dramatic portion, or you're looking for some type of response that's melodramatic. It's a temptation. What if nobody runs to the altar? I better get melodramatic. I better push this thing to a new place of dramatic. And I'm now preaching to you, stay pure to the drama of what it is. I'm going to take just a moment here. Sensationalism has no place in preaching. If anything is an abomination to preaching, it's sensationalism. Now, I believe in the drama of the Bible. I believe in a woman that pressed her way through the crowd. It was so dramatic that she didn't care what anybody thought she was going to touch touch the hem of his garment. I believe in preaching when you preach dramatically and evangelistically that someone could run out of an alt- run out of a pew where their hands were gripping it so tight and come to an altar and throw themselves upon an altar. But if it doesn't happen, do not compromise drama for melodramatic. 
It's as ugly as watching somebody that I just illustrated in a room filled with real drama of a death becoming melodramatic. That's what sensationalism in preaching does. I was preaching not too long ago, and an Indian man from India, beautiful story, testimony, very, not a very uh, expressive man. I got done preaching, I don't know, it was about six months ago, this summer sometime. I got done preaching. We were having a good altar call. He came down to the altar, and he started doing this, and he actually got in the ground and started rolling to the surprise of the pastor and his wife because they had never seen anything like that. I believe in the dramatic. I believe this man was moved by something of the Holy Ghost, and he got so moved that he started rolling, and they said, we've now had a holy roller in our church. I mean, he, nobody had ever taught him that. He just got down. He was so excited. I was preaching two weeks ago, and a woman came to the altar. And I'm going to tell you, when someone gets dramatic with God, you don't need to lay hands on them in one sense. You may to, give them, to let them receive the Holy Ghost or put faith. But she got dramatic over there. It didn't matter what anybody else was doing. She got real with God. And she began to shake under the power of the Holy Ghost. And, she, and tears were flowing. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost was all over her. There was nothing I needed to add melodramatically to push her into a place of repentance or faith. And that night I was preaching about faith. And something was happening. I believe in the dramatic. I believe people will run to an altar, throw their hands up. I've seen it happen. Throw their hands up and begin to speak in other tongues. I believe the Bible is full of drama. I believe a man like blind Bartimaeus will, at the end of a sermon, say, Jesus, thou son of David, don't kill drama. Don't kill drama. Don't kill the move of the Spirit. Don't take the drama out of... We still believe in people rolling on the floor and doing and running and going. I believe in all that. But when it doesn't happen, don't add the sweetening of it or the exaggerating of it. Recently, Brother Mullins was here. He preached a service, and he said particular laws of theology. One of them he mentioned, is, I will add here, is that just because something happens in the Bible doesn't mean it is the normative. God didn't part the sea every time that he brought his people out. How many could say amen? So just because somebody receives the Holy Ghost and they're screaming and shouting when they do it doesn't mean that everybody has to scream and shout when they do it. So don't, don't force people into melodramatic. When you add something to it, I'm going to be careful, but hear me. When you push for a response and you now add something like, I'm going to tell you, if somebody comes up and shouts and screams at the top of their lungs and they're doing it in the gift of the Holy Ghost, they're that hungry, let them alone. They're doing it in their flesh, a pastor knows when. But if you push people to do that because nobody's responding and it's not done out of the real dramatic of their spirit, you've got to be careful where you cross the line between drama and melodramatic and the spiritual and the sensational. I want to tell you, make yourself a skilled preacher of the drama, and people will respond to the dra dramatic move of the Holy Ghost. You'll see things that you never thought you'd see when you just preach it as hard as you can dramatic, but don't get tempted. I, I, I know I had a lot of things in here, but there was a certain play called Tosca. There was one scene in which a woman had to stand on the stage while her lover was being tortured in the next room. She stood with her arm against the door and her forehead resting on the arm. The only thing moving was the convulsing twitching of her and clenching of her free hand. The, the preacher wrote that as if she just would clench it. She didn't say anything. She didn't scream anything. He said, the dramatic tension was almost unbearable. 
He said, but what would Hollywood have done with that scene? And I'm afraid as we live in a sensible world, a sensational world, Hollywood makes anything ridiculous. Preaching can be tempted to do the same thing when the response is not there. I'm going to tell you, repentance is a pure thing. An alcoholic needs to repent, but a man that's got all the money in his life together in the world needs to fall at the same altar of repentance and be dramatic with his repentance. But if he won't, don't become Hollywood and make it into something that's not. Come up here and stand and do this and do that and do that and you will receive what you... I'm just saying the scripture can do for itself. It's, there's enough drama in there, by the way, to preach people to a repentance. All right. Now I'm going to move on. Is that okay? Now here's what I will say about dramatic preaching. I want you to get this last line on the page four. In anything at all, perfection is finally attained, not when there is no longer anything to add, but when there is no longer anything to take away. I don't know who this man was that said it, but he was a French aviator and writer. He made this statement. It was in a book I read. Perfection, and he was talking about art. He was talking about all sorts of things. When you can no longer say there's anything to add, that's not really perfection. But when you can say there's no longer anything to take away, you've probably reached perfection. When you can purify a sermon and let it speak for itself and remove some of the things that you're just adding and remove. I wish I had more time to talk about this. But you may get a whole outline of an evangelistic sermon and realize God, you're adding too much to it and it's not going to get to the point where you need it to get. You've got to take some stuff away or you're adding illustration that doesn't fit there. You've got to connect the right illustration. Develop that sermon. Work at it. Let God lead you. And when you have taken everything away that needs to be taken away, it is now what we would call a masterpiece of, of dramatic presentation. Does that make sense? There could be a lot more to that. And I will say also, when you take yourself out of a lot of sermons and what you want to see happen and, what you're, and let God do what, there's a lot that could be said about the dramatic when you get out of the way and let God do it. I don't have time to stay there very long. So I've given you an, uh, uh, an example of an outline that you could use to develop an evangelistic sermon. Are you ready? Just I'll move through it very quickly and then I'm done. Am I, have I still got time? It's 8.56. Okay. Number one, you got to have that introduction. Now I'm going to try and go back to the points. you got to capture the mind and the spirit of the hearer. Humor, interesting quote, provocative statement, facts or poll, book, excerpt. And number two in this introduction, you got to tie with the heart of your message, expound that spiritual concept of the message. In other words, if I'm preaching on faith, I'm going to preach very quickly in that first couple minutes about faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is this. Doubt is that. Faith is this. But I'm going to tie it to an image that I've captured their mind with. Something that, if their mind is not receptive, humor makes people open up like everything, like nothing else. An illustration I was preaching just recently about, I was talking about the voice of the blood. Uh, and I was talking about how my daughter yelled at my son one morning, to get ready, quit fooling around because he's always fooling around. And I turned around and said, don't you talk to him like that. I'm his parent, and I'll tell him when to get ready. And little did I know that my wife stuck out her head behind my daughter and said, uh, that was me, and I can tell my son to get ready whenever I want him to get ready. And I was confused because she's 12, 13 years old now, and their voices are starting to sound the same. And the face, her look on her face, and you can get confused by the voices. Somebody say Amen. amen. And I was preaching about, then I quickly went into four voices of the book of Genesis. The voice of God is there. The voice of uh, the devil is there. The voice of humanity is there. Trick, uh, Eve, 
in her human voice tricked. But there's one more voice. God said, I hear the voice of the blood coming from the gown. When you open that up, you've now caught somebody. I want to preach to you about the voice of the blood in your life. I've got four minutes. Does that make sense? To get them say, I'm there. That's where I'm at. Why would God do this for me? Because there's blood that's been applied to my life. I've got to get them to realize there's a voice. So you've got to capture the mind with an illustration, but connect it to point A and B real quick. Connect point A and B real quick. Bring your audience to say, that's where I live. Don't begin. Could I just say something to you? This is, this is not critical. All these things are things that I've learned the hard way. Do not begin the sermon in generalities. Just say, well, I'm going to talk to you about the blood. Isn't the blood wonderful? I heard a song about the blood. Hit it home! Give them an illustration and make it tie to what you're getting ready to preach about. Rather be clear, precise, and concrete in your direction. Bring attention to dangers and pitfalls if you don't hear what it's doing. Now, I'm going to give you how I believe an evangelistic sermon could be preached. You don't have to do this every time. But a scriptural text, number one, you're going to do the four things. You're going to preach the character. You're going to dig that out, the struggle, the conflict, the decision. Give voice to their choice, whether it was right or wrong. Some choices they made wrong in the Bible show that people made the wrong decision. And there's a danger of that. And then give them their destiny. Point number two is you're going to find another scriptural text like Jesus did. He gave us the lost coin, the lost sheep, or the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal. Give them scriptural text two, the same as above. Dig out that the destiny, the decision. Scriptural text three, the same. But this time, scriptural text three is maybe your most intense example. It's the best one. It's the thing that God began to originally speak to you about. Does that make sense? Where you were at the first time when you really started getting that point home. So you may be at Daniel and the lion's den, the first story. You may be at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the second story. But the third story is where you're talking about what really God began to speak to you. It's your most intense. It feels the most. It's the decision that you're going to be able to preach the easiest. And it's going to be the most identifiable destiny that you could preach about this. And then close with an impacting decision expanded, either a testimony, a, a shared, a shortened biblical examples of somebody else who made that d- decision, a powerful illustration. Could I say to you this about the closing? The conclusion is too impactful to just be left to say, well, I hope the Holy Ghost, you know, just speaks to me. There are days, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not criticizing anybody's preaching. I've preached as a pastor, a youth leader. I've had days where I just barely made it to the pulpit because the week was so rough, and I just had to let the Holy Ghost speak to me. I'm talking in a class where you're wanting to learn the characteristics of preaching. And some of these things will become fluid in you that when you get to a pulpit, they can even come out at a pulpit because you've so learned them in your life. Does that make sense? Anything you become a habit, come out. So there's some times where I don't have a lot of time, but I've given that moment, and I'm going to just go up there because I know some of the things are going to come out in my mind. I've developed these type of sermons in my mind before, and God can help me get to the decision, get to the destiny. I can see it as I'm reading the Scripture, just like I was reading it in my room. So I give you that outline. Build that Scriptural Text 1, Scriptural Text 2, Scriptural Text 3 that all have the same redundant theme. If you're preaching about faith, breaking through a barrier, preach that breaking through a barrier. One, two, three. Use that destiny, the decision, the struggle. Show it all and give them that dramatic preaching. I hope I've not left you confused in any way, but left you more believing that you can actually preach. It won't come naturally just without discipline study, but you can preach dramatic things that will pull at the heart. 
The best thing that I get is not a text that somebody says on a Monday, pastor sends me a text and says, man, they, they thought you were one of the best preachers they've ever heard. Because I'm not. And I'll know that they had a bunch of liars in their church. <laughs> but if I get a text like this, man, a woman went home and she called me about 5 o'clock after Sunday morning and said, I just couldn't get it off my mind. I've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. That means she was presented with a drama somewhere. And it wrestled with her all day long. And she said, can you meet me back at the church? And the pastor said, I can meet you back at the church. And we will baptize you in the name of Jesus. That's drama. I get a text where somebody says, you know, boy, that preacher said, you messed with them. You messed with them. Then I know that drama might have been... Not melodrama, because if melodrama, they left feeling good. I, I got them to where they need to feel. But if I leave them messed with, and they're going home, and it's going to mess with them for a good week or two, that's the drama of not me. I got out of the way. I got enough stuff out of the way. The Holy Ghost will do itself. The preaching will do itself. The Word will do it itself. Does that make sense? So take this, this outline. Don't make this your main outline, but build a sermon like this where you're presenting those four elements in a scriptural text, the, the character the, and, and use it, preach it dramatically, all right? I'm done. Brother Kilman. Hey, all. Thanks again for listening to the Indiana Bible College podcast. We always enjoy hearing your feedback, or uh, we appreciate a share on social media of this uh, podcast. But we have one last question for you. Have you considered starting or maybe completing your degree through our revamped distance learning program? 100% online, 100% self-paced, 100% affordable, 100% a perfect way to continue your education. Earn a bachelor's degree, a certificate, or enroll in concurrent studies as you complete your high school diploma and get a little head start on the Indiana Bible College on-campus experience. Now is a great time to start something new, so check out that program at ibcdl.com. Thanks again. God's blessings.